Welcome to The Lex Factor, a lawfully good podcast where we'll brief you on the business of law so you can build a better practice and capture more billable hours. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Lex Factor. It's your host, Lauren, here. And your co-host, Brad. Thank you. Round of applause for Brad. Thank you. Co-host always needs a little love. All right. Well, today we're actually here with Belinda Dantley. She is a director for inclusion and diversity education um, and also a professor of child advocacy right here in St. Louis at St. Louis University. Welcome, Belinda. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited about this conversation. We hope so. We hope so. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be a really good conversation, actually. It's It's so relevant with everything going on in the world right now, but I think it's a big conversation that needs to be had in the legal industry as well. So before we dive in and really break down what we're talking about today, because I know everybody wants to know now, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, how you got involved in in your area, what you do in your free time, whatever, just a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So as you mentioned, I am a director of inclusion and diversity education at SLU Law. I am an alumna of the law school. And um, you also mentioned I did child advocacy. So in my work with child advocacy, I worked with CASA volunteers and a lot of the training that we did with our volunteers um, surrounded a lot of diversity, equity and inclusion issues as um CASA volunteers tended to come from more privileged backgrounds and had the capacity um, to really work with children in foster care, advocate for them, get to know them, talk on their behalf in mm-hmm. court. Um, but it was a there, there was a little bit of a cultural disconnect that went into that work. So helping the CASA volunteers work through that, understand some of the issues that they didn't have lived experiences in to help them better advocate for the children in foster care that they worked with. And um, through that work, I found myself back to SLU Law. Um, I rem- I was always um, a very involved alumna and um, found the opportunity to bring um, my love for SLU Law and my passion for the diversity, equity, and inclusion issues together. And now I get to do it full time. Um, I focus less on the child advocacy and CASA work and more on diversifying the legal community and all the way from the beginning with prospective students and to the end of the spectrum with alumni. And I get to do all the training and communication around those issues daily. That's awesome. It must be nice to actually do what you love on a daily basis. I am very privileged to be able to genuinely go into a workspace and love what I do every day. Maybe not all day, right? (laughs) All work has its stressors, but definitely every day I love the work that I'm doing. Yeah. And just knowing that you're making a difference. The work-life balance also, working at an institution. um, I because I love the work, I'm not so stressed that when I go home to play with my four-year-old, I could actually do that. (laughs) That's awesome. I think it's amazing, you know, you being able to do what you love. What, What are some of the difficulties that you face, though, in kind of sharing that passion with others? Uh, do they understand it from the beginning? Where Where is it kind of the most difficult part of it to help others to understand just that creativeness, that uh, drive, that passion that you have for this topic? I guess the most difficult thing is I tend to work in groups. Um, and in any group, there are varying levels of um 
understanding and and people are at der- uh, various parts of their journey um, when it comes to doing inclusion work. Um, so being able to create training that helps people get that foundational understanding of the work that we're doing, um, but also um, working with and giving those practical skills implementation side of things for the for the people who have been um, learning, working and growing in this space for some time. Yeah. So being um, able to work with people at different levels in the same space. Yeah. I like that you said that we have, we have a diversity council here at Lexicon. And I think it's very interesting because even when we have our meetings, there's still that focus on, you know, race, black and white. But part of it is really helping people that are at those different places in their journey of understanding of inclusion. Like it's, it's not just that. And I think even those who are working in this area day to day, like you often forget how diverse diversity is and how much it truly does include. Absolutely. Well, like you were saying also that even when you're talking about the different identities that um, you may be explaining to people, there are people in that room that have that lived experience, right? Mm -hmm. And for them, it's, well, I know how to be a Black person. I know how to be a gay man, right? Mm -hmm. I don't need the the um, the vocabulary in order to move forward, right. but in order to get everybody at least on that um, that good foundational space, um, you have to touch on some of those areas. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm really I'm I'm super glad that you joined us today because Belinda did sit in. She she led one of our CLE sessions on diversity, which was awesome. Obviously, why we wanted to have her back. But not only is the topic just so current, but it's also very big in the legal industry. And I think as we all know, the legal industry is slower to adapt really in all areas, but especially diversity. And so we wanted to bring you in today and really kind of talk about how, how as a firm, how as a legal industry, can you start adapting to be more diverse? And I think that really starts with getting those diverse candidates in the door, you know, and there's going to be that entire journey. How do you retain the diverse candidates? There's just so much to it. But I really wanted to dig in with you and, you know, you working at a university, I think it's a great start. It starts with the students in law school, you know. So tell me a little bit your thoughts on how you know, firms can really start building that relationship with students at law school or what the students themselves can start doing um, as they're getting closer to graduation to help get more diverse candidates into the legal field? Well, absolutely. I think you have to look at it from both ends in order to come up with a solution, right? So when you are looking at um, attracting law students and first year associates, you have to also know what what is the problem that you're dealing with, right? So um, the legal profession is actually one of the least diverse professions that we have in America. Mm-hmm. And then only exactly what those numbers are. So we have um, about 30% of our population um, are people of color here in America. But our numbers in the legal profession tend to be about half that, about 15% of our population are attorneys of color. So knowing, okay, this is a a large problem that we're dealing with that is going to require us to really um, take some monumental steps in fixing that problem, right? Small changes are not enough to fix the larger 
um, legal diversity issue that we have. Mm -hmm. Then when you're really fully able to understand how big that problem is, then moving on to creating solutions for that. So a lot of um, law firms that I am just so happy to see, especially being in the law school space, are creating clerkships, internships, or fellowships that specifically designated for either diverse candidates or um, students and or um, attorneys who have demonstrated a commitment to diversity Mm -hmm. and being very intentional about the wording that they're using when they're creating these fellowships, how they're advertising it and publicizing it to say that we are creating this as a solution to the problem that we are having with diversity in the legal community and being intentional in that space. I want to clarify something that you said to make sure I have a a good understanding of it. So what Mm -hmm. you're saying is a very positive first step that you're seeing law firms make is they're wanting to hire, whether it's an attorney or it's an intern or whatever it may be, that individual has a background of understanding diversity, supporting diversity, things like that, getting it into the law firm so that then as they grow in that law firm, they would also support that for the next generation that comes in. Did I get that right? Um, yes and no. Right? Okay. That's a legal answer. <laughs> no, that's good. I, I want to make sure so that everybody understands. So yeah, clarify, definitely. So at least a commitment to those issues, understanding Mm -hmm. the issues, understanding um, how to come up with solutions and willing to be creative in that space. So you can help build that Mm -hmm. new culture. Absolutely. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So having that desire, whether it is expressed in whatever organizations you're a part of, on the board of, volunteer with, the types of circles of influence they're a part of, it's something that is important to them that is expressed in their actions. So they may not be experts or scholars in the area, but they have a desire to want to know more about it mm-hmm. to be able to then come up with solutions. Yeah, yeah. taking that first step. they know how important it is, yeah. Yeah, I think that's an amazing first step. But earlier today, you talked about kind of that foundation and getting everybody on the same uh, level, like it's uh, either the diversity council or, you know, just different talks that you do, things like that. When you're stepping into a a law firm and wanting to help people, what are some of the topics that you cover with them to kind of, you know, get a good understanding of why this is so important? One, I don't tend to work with organizations that don't already know that this is an important thing that they should be working on. Um, It is something that the organization, the entity, the firm has to come to the conclusion with themselves. I think really even for them to seek someone like me out in this space, that they have to know that it's important for their spaces to be inclusive, for them to value the input of diverse perspectives, and for them to want to create a culture around that. That is something they have to do for themselves first. Um, And by the time they are seeking out someone like me, they've already had those types of conversations like this is important we're not really sure how to do it but we know we want to do that has to happen first if it's a i'm checking a box and i want to get the numbers in and i'm making a business case for it that's not really going to change their environment so so question real life example here since this is obviously what you do for a living what are some examples of some of the initiatives either you've helped firms put into place or maybe some of the stuff that you guys are working on at SLU law school 
I'm sought by more than just at this in this age and time than um than law firms. So mm-hmm. I've worked with different entities that um want to just create inclusive workspaces. Yeah. So I've helped organizations create um monthly programming where I where they invite different speakers and different um people to talk about their expertise. Um one organization called it an uncomfortable cup of tea um, or things like courageous conversations where it is a plan in place to do more than just one diversity day of training or something along those lines, that it is more long-term and ingrained in their culture. Um, So they're very intentional with creating um, multi-programming around these issues. Mm -hmm. Um, we do the same thing in the law school. So we follow specifically at SLU Law a growth mindset that um, you don't just come and have the ability or you don't. It is uh, the expectation that you can be taught new skills, that you can um, continue to improve and progress in different areas, whether it is in contract law or um, equity issues. And because we come with that mindset, we start programming from before they even get to orientation during the summer that then um, continues on to like CLEs with our alumni. It has to be multi-programming and not just a one and done or sit it and forget it type of situation. Yeah, definitely. Do you think it's important to have those uncomfortable conversations too? You know, it's something I'm actually part of the diversity council here at Lexicon and we talk about it a lot because, you know, you want to bring awareness to people and you want to educate people. And I, I personally think some of that comes with having those uncomfortable discussions because it's really what helps people understand and maybe put themselves in somebody else's shoes. Yeah, I absolutely do. And I think what makes the conversations uncomfortable is that we do, that they have been topics that we're told not to discuss, right? Like yeah. right. for so long, if you use the example of like what not to talk about at the Thanksgiving table with family members, right? You're set, you're told, don't talk about politics, don't talk about right. religion, right. don't talk about race-related issues. Um, so if as a society, we're told that there are just certain topics we don't talk about, then they're going to be uncomfortable when we do start to talk yeah. about them. Yeah. But the more you bring up the issue, the more you build the vocabulary, the more you hear different people's lived experiences, the less it's going to be uncomfortable. And it's just going to be a part of what you do. Yeah, totally right. One of the things that you had mentioned was, uh, I'm going to coin the phrase, uh, work with the willing or work with those individuals that want to learn and grow is kind of what you were saying, not just a check the box kind of thing. How do you determine which group that those people fall into to really be able to determine whether you can help them or not? I think, Mm -hmm. and why I'm asking that, and I know it's a little bit of a harder question, is because As law firms, I think, you know, they want to take your advice. They want to have inclusion. They want to go, but they need to ascertain whether their employees or other partners are are checking a box or really, really it's important to them. How do you tell? So I'm going to say probably an unpopular opinion. Okay. Um, I think there's a push now for mandatory training for all employees, for all lawyers, for all students, mm-hmm. um, that that is how we're going to fix the problem, that 
even if they don't take the information, they've heard the information and they can't say they don't know about it. Right. Like, I think that is a huge push right now. But I don't I don't subscribe to that thought process. I really think making trainings, conversations, programming voluntary and making it available for those who genuinely want to go on this journey of learning um, is how you're going to see who values it and who makes it important. Because it's very easy, especially if something is voluntary, to schedule a meeting and say, you know what, I can't go, I got a meeting. Right. But if it's on your calendar and you know about it ahead of time and you are intentional and you absolutely want to gain this information, you're not going to schedule anything over it because it's important to you. Right. Because time is important and this means something to you. So you're going to dedicate your time to it. You're going to find those individuals that are eager to learn and grow because it is voluntary and you can see them dedicating their time to it, which is important. And so that's kind of how you separate the two. I think that's a great idea. So once you, you know, say we're, we're focusing on the legal industry here and you have these these individuals who are joining firms, they're committed to making a difference. They understand the importance of diversity. Are there certain first steps that firms can take to help change their culture um, and adopt more diversity within their firm? Are there, you know, five quick things that you say, hey, all firms should do this first and foremost to get started on the right path? So I would say gathering the stories Uh of the people that are working there, right? So um, I like that one. Yeah. When you're recruiting, people are going to want to know Or at least I tell my students to figure out some way to know what it is like to really work there. Not just what the website says, um, not what is given to you in a brochure or a job description of what the culture is like, but try to find a way to really have a conversation around what that looks like as a person working there, right? And if you're going to open yourself up as an entity, as a law firm, Um, for law students looking for that information, you as the partners should know what information is then given to students, right? So you should know what your employees, what your associates um, are saying about working in your firm. So whether that is circulating anonymous climate surveys, because um, it's a way for people to show up as their authentic selves without the, maybe the fear of repercussion, uh, or um, doing things like state interviews and genuinely sitting down having conversations with the attorneys that you supervise on issues of whether or not they feel like um, the policies and procedures or the culture is fair to them, is um, giving them the ability to advance or take on additional cases or move on up in the law firm, um, participating in that partner track, those sort of conversations. So also, once you're gathering that information, the the people who are making the decisions around policies or things to implement really need to sit with those stories and believe the people mm-hmm. when they have shared those stories and not make excuses for, oh, well, that's not what we meant when we implemented this, yeah. or that wasn't our intention. Um, when I said that to this associate, because you have to realize that your intent and your impact don't always align. And you have to work to make sure that whatever your intent was is what is received when um, someone else is experiencing it. And a part of that is truly listening to people's stories when they tell you what it's like to work in your firm. 
you have to know what your house is looking like before you can fix it. And that's how we started off this conversation with saying like, we have to know what the problem is in the legal profession in order for us to then come up with solutions to fix it. I mean, you said so much good stuff today, and I think all of our listeners have a a few great things that they can take away and say, hey, these are some of the steps that I need to do first and foremost, either when I'm looking for a diverse firm to join or even when I'm at the firm itself. How can I start to make those changes within our culture? So I really appreciate that. Um, It was wonderful having you on today. We definitely like to have you back sometime too so we can talk a little further about, okay, now you have that diverse candidate. Now you have a more diverse group of people at your firm. The culture is adopting. Now what? How do you keep that? How do you grow? So we'd love to um, have you back sometime if you're interested to kind of continue that conversation. Absolutely. I'd love to. Thank you. Perfect. Sounds good. Belinda, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure. Yes, thank you. And everybody, thanks for tuning in to The Lex Factor, and we'll talk to you next time. Until next time, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to The Lex Factor. Lexicon takes care of business so you can take care of law. Learn how to build a better practice at lexiconservices.com.